I didn't know I was going to have another service. But Brother Tim came up and said, you know, would you do the Wednesday afternoon service and just bring that second part that you mentioned on Monday? And that's what I'm going to be doing today. I want to do just a real brief review to get into what I want to cover. What I introduced this past Monday, that, well, the title of the sermon was Worship, a Key to an Outpouring. And the one thing that I can tell you, if, you are, or if you're truly desiring an outpouring, which leads to revival, you're going to have to have praise and worship. You're going to have to. This is not an option. It has to be there. Because one of the things that worship will do is not only usher in the presence of God, but along with that, it will help to sustain what has begun. You, you can never lose your worship. Now, the message on Monday was focused on, on private, well, on, on corporate worship, not to diminish uh, private worship in any way, shape, or form. And so, as we do this, as we're worshiping God, you know, some powerful things take place. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting on God to help me here with this recap. You know, we looked at in Ephesians how that we are created out of God's righteousness and true holiness. And one of the reasons that we have been created, and this is, we covered this on uh, Monday, and there's more to it, but we just aren't going to dig into all of that. But one of the reasons that we have been created, uh, part of why we're born again is to praise the Lord and to worship Him. Because He says here in uh, 1 Peter that ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 13 verse 15, it helps clear up the question, well, what are some of these spiritual sacrifices? It says, by Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name continually. And so therefore we understand that we have a responsibility to praise and to worship the Lord. That's part of what we're supposed to do. I mean, you know, a lot of times people, Christians have these questions about, well, I just don't know what God wants. Start with the basics. What do you see in scripture? And if God says, look, you're born again and you're a spiritual house, all right, you know, we're the, the temple of the Lord. You're a spiritual house, and part of your responsibility is to offer up the sacrifice of praise. And then he clarifies, it is the fruit of your lips. The fruit of your lips. That means it's supposed to come out. You, you, you don't just hold it in. It's supposed to be coming out. You know, we talk, this is so interesting because there's been a lot of teaching about, you know, faith and confession and confess the word. Well, if God says that the fruit of our lips, praise and worship, if, as the fruit of our lips, is supposed to come forth, that's supposed to be a confession, if you will. And it's not necessarily the confession of written scripture, but it's the confession of our new nature, our born-again spirit, our love for him coming out of our heart. We release it unto him. Because he is our father. This is what we're supposed to do. Over and over again in my life, I've encountered so many Christians, they struggle mightily in this area of praise and worship. 
especially in the area of what I refer to as free worship. That's where, uh, you know, we're, we're no longer singing with the hymnal. We kind of close it and put it down. And the words on the screen, uh, you know, we turn those off. And then we just begin to praise the Lord. What we were doing earlier here today, we just begin to worship out of our heart. And so many Christians, it's almost like they're afraid to do this. Uh, it's almost like they don't know what to do. It's, it's, but they just like, like clam up. They just stop. Well, see, this is what we've got to conquer. God likes it. He loves it when we'll praise Him. We stand with the hymnal and we sing Amazing Grace. Or, you know, so many other hymns that are beautiful. He, he likes it when we're singing, uh, you know, words that are uh, based on scriptural truth, flashed up on the screen. That's fine. But He also wants to hear our heart. He wants to hear what's in us. He wants us... I mean, think about this. As, you know, if you're a parent or a grandparent, what if your, your child came to you and the only time they ever expressed any affection, they bring a book and they open it up. Daddy, I love you. Um, I thank you for my toys. I thank you for my clothes. Wouldn't you think that's kind of weird? I mean, after a while, wouldn't you want to like slap the book out of the kid's hand and said, boy, just tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. Tell mama you love her. You see what I'm saying? And no kid that I know has ever done that, meaning they don't need a book. They just run up and grab, oh, I love you, mommy. I love you, daddy. Well, see, that's what God is expecting from us. Now, we read in Amos chapter 9, verse 11, God said, in that day, Will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof? I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. And then in Psalm 102, verse 16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. And as we studied in scripture, what all of that meant, when David brought the ark into Jerusalem, he didn't bring it into the city specific, but what he did was take it to a hill outside of Jerusalem. And on this hill, the Bible says he had many houses built. Well, they were like uh, big tents. But one of those really big tents was referred to as a tabernacle or the tabernacle of David, and that's where the ark was placed. And um, David assigned uh, Levites to be praisers and worshipers. And this is all recorded in First uh, Chronicles 15, First Chronicles 16. And, and you, if you just go through and read it, you'll see it. But he had these priests assigned to be uh, singers and musicians. And their responsibility, they actually worked shifts. Their responsibility was to be there at the Tabernacle of David, where it is also referred to as the City of David because of the uh, various tents that were built out there, but is also referred to as Zion. And so David had given them the responsibility to sing and to worship there at the tabernacle all the time. That's all they did. That was their job. Just praise and worship the uh, uh, God, praise and worship the Lord. And uh, some historians tell us that they had four-hour shifts. So he had all these people, and a lot of them are identified by name right there in Chronicles. And they had a responsibility to be there. And all they did was worship. That was it. You know, four hours a day. That was it. You know, punch the time clock and begin worshiping the Lord. Then the next crew would come in. And it was just continual. It was nonstop. 
And the Bible tells us it was like that until Solomon brought the ark into the temple that he had built in Jerusalem. Well, it took him seven years to build that temple. And prior to that, it was approximately, well, the sum total between the time that David told the, the priest and all to be out there and worship to the time that Solomon had the ark finished, it was roughly 35 years, uh, 50 years, 70 years. The time frame is kind of hard to, de- to determine, but for years, for years, this praise and worship was going on continually. And that's all they were doing, just worshiping God, just praising and worshiping God. And no matter where you were in that region, you would have heard the sound of praise and worship echoing off those hills, going out throughout the entire region. And if you were new, if you were, you know, say a, you know, a Canaanite or somebody, and you were just passing through the land for whatever reason, you would hear this. You would hear the praise of Zion going up to Almighty God. What an impression that would make. Well, God said in His Word that when the tabernacle of David is rebuilt, when Zion is rebuilt, He said, I will appear in my glory. And what He's talking about there, the symbolism is this. When you get to the place as my children, praising me and worshiping me with focus and intent and purpose like it happened at the tabernacle of David, like it happened in Zion. He said, I will appear in glory. In my my glory, it will appear. And this is what we're after. We're after this outpouring. We're after the, the glory to appear, not a, a you know, shining light. I mean, however God wants to manifest it, that is what we're after. Because see, when that outpouring takes place and His presence is so strong in our midst, then it's like anything can happen. And you'll have people get born again. Now listen to this. You'll have people who get born again in a service like that who have never heard a sermon in their life. But the presence of God will be so strong, they will cry out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. I've heard stories of people coming in off of the street into a church where this kind of worship was going on, and they, they just walk in off the street. They, weren't even, they didn't even want to go to church. They're just driving down the road, and for some reason, they pull off the road into the parking lot, and they just walk into the church building and this worship is going on God's presence his glory is in that place and they fall to their knees fall to their faces crying out Jesus save me Jesus save me and the next moment they're filled with the Holy Ghost and start speaking in tongues and they've never heard this taught this is what worship can do but see it's up to us and when we come together as a congregation and we make a determination I am going to do this And it doesn't matter to me who's sitting next to me or in front of me or behind me. God is going to hear the fruit of my lips. God is going to hear my heart. And I'm going to open my mouth and I am going to let it out. I am going to praise. I'm going to sing. I am going to worship. Whether the music is playing or not, I'm going to enter into this. And when we do this collectively, now again, we're focusing on corporate worship. When we do this collectively, guys, God moves in. God says, my glory will appear. The more that we do this, the more 
that we as a congregation make this determination to do this, to give you an image, it's almost like God is waiting. He says, okay, now you did this last week. You did this week before. As soon as you start, I'm going to be there. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to open your heart and worship me, and I will begin to move through that worship. We can have this. If they could have it, Okay, remember when Solomon brought the ark from Zion into the temple? Do you remember what happened? It tells us in uh, Chronicles how that the singers, when the singers and musicians became as one, praising and worshiping the Lord. Glory to God. His mercy endureth forever. When they begin to do that, what does the scripture say? It says God's glory moved into that place. It says the the place was filled with a cloud and the priest could not stand to minister because of the glory of God filling that place. Those people weren't even born again. Those people, they were just doing this out out of a soulish recognition of God. And God honored that. How much more so for us? We don't look for a cloud. We, we don't look for, you know, a, a glory brightness to come in. No, but the presence. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we begin to praise God, we begin to worship God, you can sense there's something happening. There's something going on. Now, some people might ask me, you know, how in the world did you get to this place of praise and worship? You know, what's happened? Well, um, Pastor Dave Roberson, I give him the credit for everything that I have learned about praying in tongues. Now, I know ultimately all the glory goes to Jesus, but I'm giving honor to whom honor is due. If I had not heard Pastor Dave's teaching on praying in tongues, I don't know that I would ever have understood it. I don't know that I ever would have given myself over to praying in tongues. I just don't know what it would have been. But because of that, I am where I am today as far as my walk with God relative to praying in tongues. And so I give all that honor to Pastor Dave Roberson for helping me understand this, the whole, the, the, everything about, you know, praying in tongues that I understand. But when it comes to praise and worship, there's somebody else that had a major impact on my life. When Kathy and I first got married, well, actually, before we got married, we were attending a church. It's like this one. It wasn't part of a denomination, uh, spirit-filled, uh, you know, however you want to describe it. And we were there, oh, I don't know. It, it wasn't long. And they had a man come in to minister. And his name was Bill Morris. Now, one of the things that Bill Morris taught, well, he taught a lot about being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and so forth, but... One of his, um, I guess you could say, focal points of ministry was about praise and worship. And he began teaching on praise and worship and began ministering on praise and worship. And it, it literally transformed that church because the people in that church, and I know not 100%, but the majority of the people in that church began to buy into what he was teaching and what he was showing in Scripture concerning praise and worship. And folks, I'm telling you, we had services that were absolutely incredible. 
uh, services the likes of which I have rarely experienced anywhere else. And it was all because of the praise and worship. There were times when uh, toward the end of a service, people, I mean, Bill would be up there ministering and teaching about it, and then people would just start worshiping, just start praising God. And it would spread throughout the entire congregation. And before you know it, everybody's praising and worshiping. The sermon's over, but the presence of God filled the place because the people were worshiping. And I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, that was a breakthrough in my understanding of praise and worship. And it had, it had as much of an impact on my life concerning praise and worship as Pastor Dave's teaching did concerning praying in tongues. And so, um, in fact, I even took some of uh, Bill's uh, sermons and recorded them from a cassette tape onto the computer. And every now and then I've gone back to listen again because it's so rich. Well, as I have begun to praise and worship God, it's become more and more ingrained in me. And God has led me to so much in Scripture about praise and worship. And quite frankly, I I know for a fact I could teach for three weeks straight, morning service, evening service, on praise and worship six days a week, And every sermon is going to be different because there is so much that God has revealed in Scripture. It is between praise and worship and tongues, those two topics I probably taught on more than anything else in my, in my entire ministry. And so that is the reason why um, it has become such a, a big thing for me, a, a big point of interest, or however you want to call it, because I understand it in a way that I don't hear taught in other circles. And, and I just, it's just, it's so real. It's so genuine. And I'm telling you, this is a way to get into the presence of God and experience a move of God. But it, it's been lost on the church. You know, when God was talking about, you know, Zion being rebuilt, prophetically, that is a restoration of the kind of praise and worship that God wants in the body of Christ. Because if you go into the Word and you begin to study what happens with praise and worship and the promises and so forth that God has made, it's almost, you know, God said, my Word, it goes forth, it won't return void. So God has said, here are the standards and the principles of praise and worship. Now, if you do them, then I respond accordingly and I move exactly the way that I've told you that I will move. Well, then the opposite is just as true. If you don't do this, he will not move. You know, uh, it's, it's amazing to me how many Christians seem to think that you just kind of go to church, sit around, and God's going to do whatever God is going to do, and there's no responsibility on our part whatsoever. Well, it doesn't work that way. You know... <laughs> If everybody was going to get born again, then, then God would just, you know, move on, get them born again. They wouldn't need to call upon the name of the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Now, in Matthew chapter 6, um, you don't have to turn to this. You know, when I was talking here on Monday and emphasizing the whole aspect of free worship, you know, Jesus, I praise you, I glorify your name. Well, I don't want you to think that... The speaking of your praise and worship is not important, because it is. And I don't want you to think that singing uh, the songs from hymnals or the, the words on the screen, I don't want you thinking that I'm implying those things aren't important, because they are. The focus here is the worship that comes out of our hearts. It's the, that free worship, that spontaneous worship, where I don't need the prompting of a hymnal. I don't need the prompting of words on a screen. It's just coming out of me. You know, Jesus, when he was talking 
um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He said, you know, uh, and it was on prayer. You know, Father, hallowed be thy name. And then, you know, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, a lot of people are very uncomfortable, Christians now, very uncomfortable with the concept of what I'm teaching here about the worship. Very uncomfortable doing that around other people. Well, I'm just not comfortable doing this in a crowd. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, you don't have to turn to this. I'm going to give you the references. But when it comes to worship and what's going on in heaven, you can read in Revelation 4, verses 8 through 11, Revelation 5, 1 through 13, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, Revelation 11, 16 through 17, Revelation 15, 2 through 4, Revelation 19, 4 through 7, and it's talking about the worship that's going on in heaven. Here are some of the phrases that are used to describe it. Great multitude. Another one is a great multitude which no man could number. And here's another, another one. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In other words, congregational worship is a big thing up in heaven. And everybody is participating. So why wouldn't we want to participate down here? Why wouldn't we want to do it down? Well, yeah, but Brother Martin, you've got to understand. You know... Those folks were in the presence of Jesus. Okay, so what are you telling me? That you don't believe we're in the presence of Jesus here when we're worshiping Him? Well, yeah, but they could see Him. Yeah, but we walk by faith, not by sight. You have any more arguments about this? Now, what it comes down to is pride. Pride. That's the reason why we don't do this. Well, you know, somebody's going to hear me and make fun of me. Well, let them. I mean, God might strike them down if they do. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is, why is that important? Because this is you and, and, and Jesus. This is you and your Savior. This is supposed to be a time for you with your family to worship God. You know, just think about the family aspect of it. All the kids want mommy and daddy's attention. Why is it not like that in church? Why can we not do this? And I'm not saying individually you don't do it. I just know, and I share with you on Monday, there's some folks here, you really need a breakthrough in this. I mean, it's that majorly important. Um, You know, look in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I remember, um, <laughs> you know, I've been in churches. I, I, okay, I'll talk about one specific service. I was, we were, Kathy and I were there, and it was, the, the worship was going really good. And when it, was, it was getting right to that point. I mean, we could, we could sense it. It was getting right to the point to where the people were like going to step over and just begin to worship God. I mean, just really get into it. And then the pastor came up and interrupted it. And it was like, you know, a quenching of the Holy Spirit. Well, the only reason that happened was because the pastor didn't know and didn't understand. I I truly don't believe he was in rebellion, but I don't think he, he understood what was going on. But here in Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus said, 
I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, you know, for years I had that backwards. What I mean is, I thought what that meant was, me down here on earth, whatever I say, I bind you in the name of Jesus. That God was going to stand behind it and say, well, okay, i got to bind it. I mean, he said I bind it. I loose you in the name of Jesus. Well, i got to loose it because he said, no, that's not, no, that's not it. He said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. When we begin to operate by the keys of the kingdom of heaven, we're going to understand from heaven's perspective, from the kingdom perspective, what is bound and what is loosed. And then when I understand that by operating by the keys, and then I begin binding and I begin loosing, what I'm doing is I'm binding what God has already said is bound. For example, the demons are already defeated. Think of it this way. They're bound by the name of Jesus. God said that Jesus, he gave Jesus the name above every name. So therefore, from God's perspective, the demons are bound by the name of Jesus. So I can say in the name of Jesus, you lying devil, I bind you. Not the person, okay? You don't have control over the will of an individual. But when I begin to exercise my authority according to the keys... That's when things are going to be bound, and that's where things are going to be loosed. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you study Scripture, what you find out is that worship is a key to the kingdom because it unlocks God's kingdom presence and kingdom glory. So therefore, if we want to see the presence and the glory of God in our services like we've never seen it before, we're going to have to mortify whatever flesh is standing between us and our praise and worship and lay it down and just enter in and lift up our hands, lift up our voice and begin to praise Him and begin to worship Him and begin to release it because He is worthy, praise God. He is worthy of it. And some people say, well, but I'm just, you know, I'm not comfortable with that, all that free worship stuff, you know, I just... I mean, uh, give me a hymnal, you know, put the words up on the screen, but all that free worship stuff, man, I just, you know, I'm just not used to it. Well, I wasn't either, and I had to have a breakthrough in that, but let me help you out. If that's a real challenge for you, here's something you can do, and this will work if you do it. Do it at home. Do it alone. Do it in the car. Do it when nobody's around. I love you, Jesus. I glorify your name. I bless you, my Savior. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Just, just start doing it when you're alone. And if you keep doing it like that, you know what's going to happen? When you're in church and people begin to worship God, you know what's going to come out? Worship. <laughs> it's going to come out because now it has become a natural thing to allow your spirit to release it across your lips, the fruit of your lips. See, what's happened in a lot of churches, praise and worship has, um, well, it's like it's degenerated to the point to where it's the opening act of the service. And it's also, in too many situations, the opportunity for singers and musicians to perform. And then... Once the songs are over, they move on. Well, the thing is, what if God's not finished? You know, what if God is thinking, I don't want to hear that sermon today. Yeah, but God, you gave it to me. Yeah, I know I did. 
However, the people are worshiping. And I want you to honor that worship and let me move. See, 10 minutes of genuine worship will accomplish more than one hour of emotion-based singing. And not only that, you know, pastors, your sermons are never, ever, ever going to change lives the way they can be changed in God's presence through worship. As pastors, as pulpit people, you need to learn how to flow with this worship. And if it upends and you don't get to preach the sermon, guess what? There'll be another opportunity. You need to learn to flow with that worship because worship has an impact on the spirit of man in a way that sermons do not. And this is why it's so critical. How many, if you read in Scripture, how many times do you see a reference to somebody preaching in heaven? Now, I know you think, well, I don't need any preaching. No, but there could be exhortation. But what we see repeatedly is the worship, is the singing, is the glorifying of God. Look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. See, I did not understand these things until I started getting into praise and worship I begin studying these things for myself to be sure that they are true. And the more I've done that, the more, the, the more God has unlocked so much in Scripture about praise and worship. It, when you get into the book of Psalms and you begin to read all these uh, wonderful things that David has written about praising God and so forth, you need to understand what he wrote about praise and worship and singing and all this other. That was not a commandment under the law. That was all out of his relationship with God. And he wasn't even born again. And it's prophetic for the body of Christ. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you look at verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have done of crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. That's talking about our, our born again spirit. You know, everything that we receive from God is revealed to us on a spiritual level. And he says, God's revealed them unto us by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is obviously involved, especially as we're praying in tongues. He says, but for the the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Well, the Holy Spirit's not searching for anything because he is God and he already knows these things. So this is my spirit searching out, digging out, looking for these deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now, we, the Christians, the believer, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not of the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know him be, know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now look at this. He says in verse 12, we received, received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, so that we can know the things that are freely given to us of God. Another way to say that is, 
so that we can know and understand the keys to the kingdom, so that we can know and understand everything relative to what it means to be born again. He says in verse 7, it's the, the wisdom of God in a mystery. One of these mysteries has to do with praise and worship. See, in the Old Testament, the people then, they had, um, well, later on in the Old Testament, you know, they had the Psalms. The Jews that were alive at that time, they had the Psalms. But they did not have a spirit that was capable of understanding the hidden wisdom that was written in those Psalms. One of the things that we read in Psalm 102 was the fact that the, it says right in there, these things are written for the generation that is to come. Then we get over into Peter and we realize we are that generation. The body of Christ is that generation. So the aspects of praise and worship revealed in Psalm 102 have to do with the generation that is to come. We are that generation. And it's in that psalm where God said, when Zion is rebuilt, he said, my glory is going to appear. I will show up in my glory. And so therefore, the folks in Psalms, they had these. The the Jews, they could read these things, they knew, but they couldn't understand the fullness of the prophetic nature that was being revealed at that time. Well, see, our born-again spirit has the ability to understand these things. Our born-again spirit, if you will, is is a uh, the method by which we can unlock these mysteries because now we have the capacity to understand them. We have the capacity to grasp the prophetic nature of what is written in there concerning praise and worship and realize... God is speak. He was speaking, you know, thousands of years ago for us today about praise and worship. And he's saying, here, if you will do this, I respond. I move. My glory shows up. And everything about me shows up. I will do this. And so therefore, once we begin to understand what you might call the hidden wisdom about praise and worship, these things that, that I'm sharing, I shared on Monday, what I'm sharing today, when we begin to understand that, when we begin to grasp these things, and then we begin to move in it, everything that God has promised that is associated with praise and worship will begin to manifest in our lives. Now see, that's, that's exactly the same thing that Pastor Day was teaching us about praying in tongues. He said, here from Scripture is the revelation of praying in tongues and what it will do. Now, if you pray in tongues, here is what is going to happen. And so a bunch of us, we began to pray in tongues, and lo and behold, Pastor Day was right. These things began to happen. The change began to take place. The mortification began to take place. We began to see God move in our lives exactly the way God had promised in His Word. Well, see, the same principle is true when it comes to praise and worship. God says, here it is. Here's the, here are the kingdom keys about praise and worship. Now, if you do this, I respond. I promised I will do it. You will experience my presence in your praise. Some Christians, it's interesting, um, turn to Psalm 34. You know, a lot of Christians say, well, you know, I hear what you're saying, Brother Martin, but, um, you know, I praise God in my heart. You know, I, I worship him in my heart. Well, that's all well and good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that except Jesus said in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Okay, so then, if you're praising God in your heart, that must mean it must be the abundance of your heart, which means it's going to come out of your mouth. So if it's not coming out of your mouth, you can't fool me. (laughs) It's not in there. You say it is, but it's not. Because if it were, it would be coming out of your mouth. And you say, well, Brother Martin, I disagree. Well, you can disagree all you want, but 
Jesus said it. I didn't. (laughs) I'm just telling you what Jesus said. But look here in Psalm 34. Look at uh, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, we're not going back to Peter and read what he said about us, you know, offering up uh, the fruit of our lips, you know, praise and, and uh, that, you know, do it continually. Well, look at this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, granted, we're not going to walk around 24-7 praising God. I understand that. But when you capture the imagery, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We should at least be doing it when the opportunity is presented to us in a church service. So when it's time to praise and worship God, His praise will continually be in my mouth. Why? Because it's the abundance of my heart and I'm releasing that. But then he says in verse 2, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. How is my soul making her boast in the Lord? Verse 1, by blessing the Lord at all times and His praise being continually in my mouth. And then it's like, okay, everybody, verse 3, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. See that? We're encouraging the entire congregation. Come on, guys, join in. It's almost like here's the worship leader standing up and saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul is going to make her boast in the Lord. You are going to hear it and you're going to be glad. Folks, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. But then look what happens in verse 4. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How am I seeking the Lord? Verses 1, 2, and 3. I am praising the Lord, blessing the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What God is telling you here in this passage is, if you will praise me, if you will seek me through praise and worship, I will hear you, I will respond, and I will move in my deliverance. I will move in your soul. I will touch your emotions that are struggling with things in life. I will bring answers that you're seeking. But it's got to start with the praise and the worship coming forth out of your mouth. It's got to be there. You know, I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of people struggling with issues in their life. If they would just praise God, they could praise their way out of the struggles, out of the emotions, out of the fear, out of the depression, the anxiety. You can praise your way out of that because those things aren't a part of the kingdom. Those things are not a part of your new nature. Those things are of the world. They're not who you are. They're not what you are. And God says, get the victory over this stuff by praising me and worshiping me. Get your deliverance. Praise God. Let me read some of these to you. Psalm 35, 18, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Psalm 107, 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Psalm 111, verse 1, praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalm 149, verse 1, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praises in the congregation of the saints. How much more does God have to say before we figure out when we come together as a congregation, we are supposed to open our mouths and praise the Lord. We're supposed to worship Him. Glory to God. Now, remember He said, when Zion is built, rebuilt, then I will appear in my glory. And on Monday, 
I mentioned something <laughs> that I know it kind of got some folks interested. I, I, what I shared on Monday, one of the things I shared is that in Scripture there is a revelation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in our praise and worship joining in with the praise and worship. Now I'm going to show this to you in Scripture. So first off, turn to, turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And here in Psalm 22, and, and I, I want you to turn to this. I want you to see these as we go along. I don't want you just to rely on what I'm saying. In Psalm 22, verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You see that? And then in verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Now this is interesting. I'm not going to get into this today. But when it says I will pay my vows, real briefly here, we owe God worship. We owe him praise and worship. And when he says, I will pay my vows, part of what he's talking about is, I'm going to, I'm going to pay my debt to God because he deserves every, every ounce of praise and worship that I release from within my heart. I owe it to him because he saved me. He set me free. I owe him my heart, my love, my praise, my, praise, my worship, my adoration. I owe this to him, and I'm going to, I'm going to pay that debt to him because he's worthy of it. And so now we read this and we think, glory to God, man, that's great. Um, yeah, we, we need to do this. But I want to show you something. I want to show you who exactly this is talking about. In verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Verse 25, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. Look over in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, we're going to chapter 2. I want you to get over there, give you a moment. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to pick this up in verse 9. Now look here. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Okay, verse 9. Who are we talking about here? We see Jesus. This is the resurrected Jesus. Do you understand that? And he continues and it says, verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? Who is it that's singing the praise unto God in the midst of the church? This is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers. I'm not ashamed to call you my sisters. I'm not ashamed to call you my relatives. I'm not ashamed. In fact, I'm going to... I'm going to join in with your praise and worship and you might be worshiping me but I'm going to be worshiping Father God. I'm going to be worshiping the one worshiping the one who raised me up from the dead and sat me next to him. I'm going to be praising God in the midst of the congregation. 
When we begin to praise Him with our hearts, guys, you got to understand, Jesus shows up, He opens His mouth, and He begins praising God right along with us. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. All right, that's Jesus. He's here. <laughs> Let's see who else wants to show up. <laughs> Turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Now look here. Are you there? Luke chapter 15. Look what Jesus says in verse 10. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. A lot of people misquote that and say the angels rejoice. That is not what that says. It says there's joy in the presence of the angels. That word joy, it comes from uh, the Greek word kara. And it's talking about rejoicing, exuberance, making mirth. I mean, it paints an image of somebody is, is, is really, really happy about what's happened. Now notice this. Now he's, he's speaking kingdom truth. He's looking beyond the cross and he's talking one sinner that repenteth. What happens today when sinners repent? They get born again, right? And when they get born again, they are born into the kingdom, correct? And when they're born again into the kingdom, who's their father? Who's their father? God is their father. Now look at this. He says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God. Who do you think is rejoicing when he gets a new child? It's father God. What the image this is presenting, think of it like this. And this isn't sacrilegious. It's like God is the father. And he's there in the, in the maternity waiting room. Mama's in there. Whoo, she's about ready to give birth. I'm about ready to get a, get a new child. And then here comes the nurse. She says, oh, Mr. God, look here. We got your new baby. It's a boy. And then what happens? He takes that baby in his arms. I got me a boy. I got me a son. And he runs through the, the waiting room. Look here. You see my son? Look at my son. I got my son. And everybody else is in there saying, yeah, yeah, good for you. Good for you. I'm waiting for my own. But this is the image is presenting that God has got his new child in his arms. And he's rejoicing. And he's happy. And he's dancing. And he's singing. Because he's got a new child. I just got me a new daughter. I just got me. A, and, and then the th- you know what happens when babies that are born? New babies? <laughs> You know what happens inevitably? They toot. You don't, you know, you ever. <laughs> God loves it when you toot. <laughs> what I mean is, He loves you so much. He's willing to overlook the dirty diapers. He's willing to overlook all the other stuff. Because you're a baby and you haven't matured yet. But when you're born again, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God because God got a new kid. I got me a new child. But I want you to see this in another place. Look over in Zephaniah. Zephaniah, that's one of those Old Testament books. Zephaniah chapter 3. Now look at this. People still looking for Zephaniah. (laughs) Zephaniah chapter 3. Now look here. Verse 17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. 
He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. Now look here. He will joy over thee with what? With singing. It says, he's in the midst of us. The Lord your God is in the midst. Father God is here partying with his children. He's here in our midst and he's joying over. He's expressing his joy about being in our presence and he's expressing it by virtue of singing. And you say, well, what in the world is God singing? I don't know. But think of it like this. We're praising. We're blessing. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. I praise you. I bless you. I honor you. I glorify you. And he turns around and he says, and I love you. And I love you. Oh, I love you so much. And I bless you with my peace. I bless you with my joy. I bless you with my healing. I bless you with my restoration. Do you see what's happening here? God, our Father, is singing over us. He joins in the midst of us as we're praising Him. And He's releasing everything that He has to release in this praise and this worship that we offer up to Him. And and it says here, He says that He's in the midst of us and He will joy over thee with singing. So then the question then becomes, how in the world did He get in our midst? Well, turn over to Isaiah 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Praise the Lord. See, when I, when I start reading these things, I just want to go somewhere and praise. <laughs> you know, Psalm 22, 3 says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. The image that that verse presents is that when we begin to praise and we begin to worship, God comes off his throne in heaven and comes down in the midst of the people who are praising him and worshiping him. And in Isaiah chapter 12, look at this verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. As we praise him and worship him, then he begins to show up in our midst. Anybody can sing songs, but I'm talking about when it is coming out of our hearts, because I love you, God, I love you. I don't care if I'm on pitch, if I'm not on key, I don't care. I love you. I praise you. I glorify your name, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Father, I give you glory, honor, and praise. And God says, that is where I'm going. He looks at the angels. He says, boys, I'll be back later. But right now, I'm going to be in the midst of these people who are worshiping me. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 10 says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Glory to God. So now we have the Son and we have the Father in our midst singing and worshiping with us as we praise. But what about the Holy Spirit? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 14. Some of you already know what we're going to read. Look at this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Do you see what he's telling you here? I will sing in tongues. You say, well, how does that mean that the Holy Spirit is in our midst singing? Well, where's that language coming from? (laughs) Who's giving me the words to this song? Who's helping me with this? Now look here. Think of it this way. Verse 2. For he that singeth in an unknown tongue singeth not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he singeth mysteries. Verse 4. He that singeth in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Verse 14. For if I sing in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is, or my spirit singeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Do you see this? The Holy Spirit is joining it. The moment I open my mouth and I begin to sing and worship in tongues, singing in the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul has said, then guess what? The Holy Spirit is involved. Now what's happened? I've got the Father. I've got the Son. I've got the Holy Spirit right here in the midst. And we're all singing and praising and worshiping and glorifying. And God is singing His blessings over me. God is declaring in song His love for me. We're here in the midst of God. His glory is showing up and I begin to see things happen in my life. I begin to see things happen in the congregation. I begin to see a move of God that otherwise would not happen if we did not join our voices in praise and worship unto Almighty God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this whole thing of the free worship. Well, listen to this. The phrase, uh, sing a new song unto the Lord. You'll find that in Psalm 33, 3, Psalm 40, verse 3, Psalm 96, verse 1, Psalm 98, verse 1, Psalm 144, verse 9, Psalm 149, verse 1, Isaiah 42, verse 10. The word song means exactly what you think. But the word new, it comes from the Hebrew word hadas, and it means new, fresh, something never seen or done before. In other words, when I'm singing a new song, it's not something that I sat down and I composed. You know what I'm saying? It means I'm singing something out of my heart that's never come out of my heart before. So yesterday I'm in here, I worship you, Jesus, I glorify your name. But then today I'm doing the same thing. And somebody says, well, that's not a new song. Oh, yeah, it is. Because that's a new song today. I wasn't singing today's praise yesterday. I'm singing today's praise today. And I'm lifting up my praise unto Him. But then in the New Testament, in uh, Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 14, 3, the phrase, new song, singing a new song unto God. The word song means exactly what you'd think. But the word new, now this one's interesting. It comes from the Greek word kainos. And this word kainos is used in several, di- several different applications relative to its contextual use. So to kind of summarize the definitions of it, here's what it means. Qualitatively new, not introduced until that time. In other words, 
this moment, this service, when I begin to praise Him and worship Him, that song that I'm singing at that moment, it didn't exist yesterday. It didn't exist the day before. It is new. It is being introduced to God now in this service. But in an abstract sense, it means different from one's own mother tongue. Now, what do you think that means? <laughs> it's not that complicated. Like I said, if you're uncomfortable with it, practice when you're alone. And it becomes easy. Now, I want to share something with you. I'm going to read to you a prophecy. And it has to do with worship. And the title of this one is Worship's Battle Cry. And, and, and what happened, we were in a service at our church. And, um, well, I began to look around. There were these devils. And they were whispering to people during the worship, especially during the free worship. You know, you don't want to do this. You don't feel like doing this. You're uncomfortable doing this. You, you don't want to really lift your hands. You, you, you don't want to enter to this kind of worship the way these other people are doing. You really don't want to do this. It was like this, this real soft whisper going into these people's ears. And as I'm watching, I saw the people responding to that. And um, especially during the free worship, they didn't want to enter in. They, they were yielding over to that voice, but they didn't recognize they were hearing a voice that, that was something other than their own emotions. And they were succumbing to that influence. And one of the reasons that the devils do this it's because of what worship does in the life of a believer. Guys, listen. If we could get a hold, and I mean get it in us, what happens when we praise and worship God? We will praise and worship God. We'll do it no matter what we feel like. Now listen to this. The Lord said, Your worship is a battle cry in the realm of the Spirit. Your worship is like a war cry, and it resonates through the camp of the enemy. When you begin to lift up your voice and you begin to praise and you begin to worship, yes, even when you begin to shout your praise and your worship unto me, it echoes throughout the camp of the enemy as a battle cry. It brings terror to the camp of the enemy, for the enemy cannot stop a people whose heart is turned unto me in praise and worship. The enemy realizes that when a shout of victory goes forth, my presence is there in the midst, and this is why he fights so hard to keep you from praising and worshiping, to keep you from lifting your hands and to keep you from singing in the spirit and with the understanding to keep you from raising your voice during times of worship it's why he wants you to feel uncomfortable and self-conscious and tired that you don't want to do this it's why he wants to take christians into churches that will not worship me for if he cannot keep them out of church he wants to put them in churches that will not take them any further beyond their born-again experience so i say to you that your worship is powerful and it is mighty in the realm of the Spirit, that it does bring terror to the hearts of the enemy. And I say to you this day, do not give heed to those feelings, those thoughts of not wanting to do this. Do not believe those thoughts that you are tired, that you don't need to do this. For I say unto you that there are many battles that you could avoid in your life if you would simply raise your voice and praise me and worship me. There are many attacks of the enemy that could have been turned back if you had 
just worshipped me and praised me and lifted up your voice and sounded that battle cry into the camp of the enemy. But I tell you this day, if you will begin to do this, there are many things that are happening in your life, many attacks of the enemy that are going to be stopped. They are going to be turned around, and he is going to be driven out of your life and out of your circumstances if you will raise your voice and praise me, says the Lord. Why would you not want to do this? Now, I I want to read. I had several here, but I, I want to read one more. Before I do, I want to share with you another vision that I had. I'm always on the front row of our church during praise and worship, in part because I don't want to be in the back and worshiping God and be distracted by the people who don't want to. You know what I'm talking about, the people doing this, you know, looking at their phones, texting. (laughs) I don't want to be distracted by that. In the flesh, I just want to slap them, seriously. You know, do you not know whose presence we're in? Does it not matter to you that God wants to touch you? Why are you playing games in His presence? Anyway. (laughs) So I sit on the front row. Now in this particular service, what happened? You know, I had my eyes closed and I'm worshiping. And it was like the ceiling, the roof of our church just completely disappeared. And I saw, like as we were worshiping God, it was like all of our worship kind of joined together into this incredibly brilliant beam of glory that was rising up. But at the same time, there was another great, big, brilliant beam of glory that was coming down from heaven. And those two beams met about maybe 100, 150, 200 yards above our church. Those two met. And when they met, it was like a nuclear bomb went off. Just poof. And when that happened, all these demons were just blown completely out of the region. And there was nothing they could do. They could not resist it. They could not stop. It completely blew them away. Now listen to this. This one is entitled Worship, Warfare, and Glory. Now as I read this, I want you to think of it as being a response from God as a result of what we did on Monday. Remember that praise and worship that we have Monday afternoon. Okay, listen to this. This night you have made progress. You have made progress not only in my kingdom, but also against the kingdom of the enemy and the forces of darkness. Some of you, through your worship tonight, have taken back ground that the enemy had stolen from you through deception. Some of you are taking back health and healing for your bodies that were an attack of the enemy. Because of your worship, you have worshipped your way into that place of manifested healing, and you will see a change in your body. As you begin to worship me, as you begin to praise me, as it began to come forth from your heart... In the realm of the Spirit, that praise and worship opens a place in you that allows me from my throne to release greater glory into you and through you. And this night, as you began to worship me, that glory was released from my very throne. It began to surge to and through you in this place. As it began to pour forth from you, from deep within your spirit, it became like a tidal wave, and it literally pushed back demonic powers that had been sneaking their way into your presence. The force of the glory that was released through you during your worship knocked them completely off their feet and washed them away. They were set back very, very far. You did 
damage to the kingdom of the enemy this night through your worship. You were like a battalion in my army, suited for battle, and your worship became, as it were, a weapon. You engaged the enemy in frontline warfare through your worship this night. As you did, you pushed the enemy back, and nothing the enemy did could stop it. Nothing. There was resistance, but it could not be stopped Because, you see, the glory that you were using as a weapon, it came from me, and I cannot be stopped. So you represented me this night, and you did warfare. In some cases, together, you literally pushed demonic powers out of the lives of some of the people here. There are those in your midst this night that were struggling greatly in certain areas, but you took up the standard on their behalf, and through your worship, you won the victory for them. You did not know this until I spoke it to you, but this is what I observed in the Spirit. There are so few of my churches that would even take the time to do as you have this evening. There are many churches that have taken time to sing, but there are so few who will dedicate an entire service to just worshiping me, just praising me. You have just begun to understand the power of worship. You're not in the full place yet. But if you will continue to worship me, if you will continue on this path of praise and worship, the times of my presence will become more and more intense. The times of my presence will become more overwhelming. As you begin to worship me, You're going to pass from one level of my presence to another. For you see, my presence can be accessed in greater and greater measure through your worship and through your praise. As you do this, you're going to access levels of my presence and my glory that you have never known existed. You don't even know how to talk about them. You don't even know how to teach about them because you haven't been there. But if you will continue to worship, not only will those of you who truly worship me from your heart enter into that place, but you'll be able to draw others with you. Great transformation awaits you as a result of praise and worship. As you praise me and worship me, I am able to deposit more of my anointing into you. You see, I look for churches all over this world who will simply give me praise and worship. They love me, they want to serve me, but too many of them do not see the value in just coming together to worship me. I would have you know that you are rare. It's sad that this is the way it is, but you are rare. You can set an example for others as you continue to worship me and as as you continue to praise me. You can set an example for other churches. There are those who become uncomfortable during this time of praise and worship. All they hear is singing. That is because their souls have been trained to respond to music and they have not trained their hearts to open up and worship me. But if you will press in, if you will worship me from your heart, if you will open the doors of your heart and pour out your worship to me, Every word that crosses your lips will be coming from your heart, not just because it's the words of a song. Then you will experience more of what you're seeking from me. You will experience my presence beyond anything you hoped for. You hope for much, but you see, what I have to offer goes way beyond what you can possibly imagine. As you begin to open up and praise and worship me from your heart, concentrating on me from your spirit, lies that the enemy has spoken to you will become revealed because of the purity of the worship, it will expose the darkness of his lies. And there are some of you, even this night, there are lies that the enemy has spoken that are operating in your life, but you don't know it. 
But I tell you that for some, your worship tonight has begun a release in the realm of the Spirit to where the eyes of your understanding are going to be enlightened and you'll see those lies and how you have been pulled in and didn't even know it. You are in the beginning stages of a kind of worship that ushers in miracles and glory. You're at the beginning stages. Many of my churches, they're not even at that point. So I speak tonight to encourage you. I speak this to you tonight to let you know that, again, I am pleased with what you have done this night. I am pleased with your worship. You don't know how you have blessed me. As time goes on, you will again have more evenings of this kind of worship. I say to you, it is possible to follow the pattern that was established in the Old Testament, the pattern wherein praise and worship was offered 24 hours a day. It can happen. Only in the New Testament, they praised me and worshiped me out of their soul. But you praise me and worship me out of your spirit. I say to you this night, because of your praise and worship, it has made it possible for me to move in this place this evening. You've heard the results. If you could see in the realm of the Spirit the way I see, you would realize just how damaging true worship can be to the camp of the enemy. I've made you more than conquerors. So rejoice this night and know that victory has been released in your worship. And as you continue to press deeper into me and make the changes that I instructed to make, things are waiting for you. There are some things that are going to surprise you. I already know how you're going to react and I look forward to it actually happening. You have blessed me this night and I love you so very much. Praise God. Jamie, come on up. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody go ahead and stand. Glory to God. Glory to God. There are more prophecies here. Um, I got a couple more. and won't be reading those. We're just going to uh, finish off this time tonight uh, with what? Praise and worship. I mean, what else would we do? Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Yes, just begin to tell him. I love you, Jesus. (laughs) I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Come on, tell him tonight. You can just start off small. Just start off saying, I love you, Jesus. You know, you don't have to sing, but you do have to open your mouth, right? Hallelujah. It has to cross your lips. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Yes, come on. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Oh, I worship. Oh, I magnify you, Lord. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. How I love you. How I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, God. Oh, I love you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. 
Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I magnify you and glorify your name. I magnify you and glorify your name. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I worship. Oh, I magnify you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone who's not saying anything right now, can you do this? Can you say, I love you, Jesus, and mean it from your heart? Can you say that? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Do you love the Lord? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. 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 Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, with everything that's within us, Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you. Oh, we love you.
Even tonight, begin to thank him. Begin to thank him for what he's been doing in our midst. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory, Lord. Oh, Jesus, who is like unto our God? Oh, there is none in all the heavens and all the earth, Lord. Only you, Jesus. Only you. Oh, we love you so much. Oh, don't you love him tonight? Oh, don't you love him tonight? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We just praise you. We just praise you, 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 Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we bless you. Oh, we just bless you. Go ahead and stand to your feet tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to sing a song and and then you can be officially released. Tomorrow morning it's 9 a.m., but you know the church opens at 7 and then there's donuts and coffee. I haven't had any yet, but I hear they're good. But Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that every time we give you time, 
you show up and you change us and we love you. We're so grateful. And we give you the praise and the glory. And we thank you. We love you so much. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. a new one for me anyways but I just love it lady so good so good oh I search the
there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Sing it one more time. Oh, there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. Amen. Be blessed.